0: Welcome to the PowerCast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. Absolute pleasure today to have uh, the legend himself, Milos Sarchev, on the podcast. So Milos is someone who's hugely inspirational, someone I personally look up to massively for a number of reasons. He has competed in over 77 shows in 12 years, which I think professional shows, which I think might be a record. And he's also now still in an absolutely phenomenal shape. Uh, so it's slightly older years, respectively. So thank you very much for coming on to the podcast, Milos. Thank you, Charlie, for inviting me. I had a
1: pleasure meeting you last year. I had a pleasure training you, yeah. <laughs> which is even more pleasure to me because you really show me your heart. Uh, I, I love your attitude. I like, like your mindset and, uh, and effort that you gave me. So uh, as you told me, you want to do this uh, uh, hypertrophy type of uh, uh
0: podcast is must uh, be there. yeah 100% hundred and like for me that was um one of the best few days of my life to be honest with you I have f- absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it and it was very eye-opening in terms of um a completely different like paradigm in terms of training methodology and uh also your pr- approach to nutrition which is obviously something we're going to come into later on so because um, I think your method is probably slightly unorthodox compared to a lot of people um, which I will come into later, but I presume you've had some op- opposition to in the past. Um, with where, where you all began, Milos, how did you first get into bodybuilding, and how did you come across this like methodology that you sort of created and um, made your own uh, in terms of training and nutrition?
1: Yeah. Before we start, just you know, one very important thing I, w- I would like to mention, our good friend, uh, Luke Sando, yeah. and his passing, and uh, give him uh, respect that he deserves. Uh, I saw him the same day when I saw you in the Arpton uh, gym. Uh, wonderful, wonderful guy. My heart goes out to his family, and uh, I would like to just acknowledge him on, on this podcast. You know, Luke, wherever you are, you know, we all love you, and you—you're never going to go away from our hearts. Okay, sorry. Uh, as far as um, my methodology of training, uh, your question was uh, how did I uh, get into? This kind of-
0: how, how did your training progress into the, the style that you created yourself? Because obviously at the time it was fairly unique. Yes. Okay. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, as everybody else, you
1: know, first, uh, what do you do? You, you try to learn as much as you can. You try to read, uh, interact with the other bodybuilders, and then you accept some theories. Um, I was the uh, son of a doctor of science of neuropsychiatry who always from beginning as I was a kid, uh, told me to question everything, to challenge everything, and to make sense behind everything else. Right? So when I started training in the gym, uh, I've seen uh, uh, several theories. Uh, heavy-duty theory of uh, Arthur Jones, they were followed by uh, Mike Menzer, and uh, uh, it was just go heavy, go home, okay, that's uh, one, one uh, group of people. Then uh, uh, Bill Pearl, one of the pioneers in bodybuilding, phenomenal bodybuilder uh, stating uh, in one interview that I heard of uh, why go to failure, why fail at anything, right? Which, which was uh, now, okay, something I asked that question. And then uh, uh, high intensity or a high volume, high frequency or very infrequent. You know, so of course, uh, when, when you're young, you you try to do with the, your logic. And my logic was more is better so i train you know four or five hours a day i, I try to do as much as possible so i did a three body parts every single day so it was uh, uh actually uh, three times a week i would do the chest and you know, three times back and so on so normally uh when you do apply this uh, initially you uh, tend to overtrain, and my results was mediocre at best uh, also, to, to uh, be fair and honest, if you do like a chest, a shoulders, and triceps in one uh, workout, so of course you you know focus on chest, you trash the chest, shoulders already you know somewhat uh, uh, you know with a diminishing effect, and then the triceps is hardly touched. Uh, you know, which I realize after a few a few uh, weeks, this is maybe too much. But uh, what I did notice is uh, that uh, my body was responding. And uh, when you start, you don't know uh, what to expect. You don't know if you're supposed to gain a couple of pounds or 20 pounds a month, right? This is just uh, old venue new. Uh, so then uh, um, I, I really start uh, talking to my father who was a brilliant man, who was not a bodybuilder, but uh, he was... Uh, um, scientist uh, he was a doctor and uh, he is a guy that i say with the most common sense it can be so he he told me first uh, son uh, when you want to create something what is it you want to create hypertrophy okay so what is the knowledge of creating hypertrophy and i explained him what i learned from exercise physiology books um well you know you uh, come to the gym You train as intensely as you can. You create some uh, microtase of muscle fibers that, uh, you know, would trigger a replenishing uh, effect. You're going to have to clean up the damage and you're going to build up those satellite cells and it's going to, you know, give you the the thicker fiber. So satellite cell uh, theory. Uh, You're going to empty the uh, glycogen storage. You're going to lose amino acids. You're going to uh, create all this uh, glycogen loss so your, your body is going to want to replenish it and, and so on and then he uh, laughed right away and asked me okay uh did you actually try to um consider and visualize what happens i said well, what do you mean so he goes do you understand that you have a like six liters of blood that right now when we're speaking it's maybe is it just 10 percent in your muscles I said, okay. And then when you start training, the uh, uh, hyperemia, increased blood flow to the muscle, uh, constantly increases. It can reach 60, even astonishing 70%. I said, okay. And then he goes, like, okay, so would you want to deliver something to the working muscle? And at, at this is a time when nobody ever talked about it, right? You, you're you not supposed to eat anything like an hour and a half before the workout. So your digestive tract is not... Uh, 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 Burdened blood can go into the the muscle, but nobody was really preparing that blood saturating with uh, any specific anabolic, anti-catabolic nutrients, but you know, so my my father would uh, uh, exactly point out to me, uh, you see, if it it would be me, you know, I would uh, uh, prepare my blood and then send it there. And again, I I was still a teenager, I didn't really understand what he meant. So he goes, imagine if you have all these essential amino acids that uh, are super important, it's absolutely necessary for protein synthesis, all available there in elemental state, in a a absorbable immediate, it doesn't need to be broken down, it's already there. And then you have a, a, most anabolic hormone insulin triggered by release of uh, uh, insulin through the high carbohydrate intake into a workout. He goes, uh, do you understand when insulin uh, is in the blood that everything that is in that blood is being transported to the first available tissues and uh, available tissues during a workout is what? Muscle tissue. So, uh, you know, this first time, you know, like really make made so much sense, but I didn't necessarily, as a teenager, you always, you know, have some rebellious uh, um, relationship with your your father, you know, I didn't wanna really listen to him, especially he was not a bodybuilder, but this really made a lot of sense. So, um, especially uh, when he uh, interpreted a little bit more, he says, do you understand that every muscle contraction opens up the cells of that particular fiber and they are ready for uptake. And then now when you have a enhanced uh, blood with all this, uh, let's say creatine and glutamine and beta-alanine, and L-carotene, citrulline, essential amino acids, benzene, you chains, know, whatever you put it in and the insulin is elevated, it's gonna just transport into the tissues. So um, I'm not gonna lie, like probably, one more month. I didn't want to try it. I didn't want to try it because uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't train like this. You know, and, uh, I didn't hear from anybody else. Uh, there was Serge nobre uh, Lou Ferrino back in the days, and uh, uh, the, the the old legendary bodybuilders. Nobody talked about it. My father did. Uh, but after another month, uh, I had a chance of. Uh, Getting some essential amino acids from a uh, Serbian pharmacy. You know, there was uh, actually for uh, kidney patients, and you can get the best, high-quality pharmaceutical-grade essential amino acids. Uh, and uh, in my country at the time, it was um, so see if the country; uh, medicine is for free, right? Mm-hmm. So you just have to get the prescription. So I learned from uh, my sister, who is a doctor, also. Uh, to write a prescription, I stole some prescription uh, papers from my father, and I made my own prescriptions. And I went to, you know, ten different pharmacies. How old were
0: get... you at this time, Milos?
1: Yeah, I was uh, at this point like uh, 19.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. And um, uh, to, to make a long story short, I get all these essential amino acids, right? And then there was uh, a carbohydrate drink in Serbia. that is like very uh, much like nowadays when you have a um, uh, uh, glucose loaded, uh, like a kind rate, yeah, this type of thing. So I just started using, uh, essential amino acids and, uh, uh, this high carbohydrate drink and, uh, uh, improvements that was getting were uh, ridiculous. Uh, the pumps that was getting was uh, astonishing. I said, there is something to it, right? So, uh, this is my, uh, first thing of, theory, my hyperemia advantage theory, Uh, this is supplemental part. So uh, I had to saturate my blood with everything that I wanna transport to the muscle that I'm gonna be working. So this is that one part, uh, which uh, means that I would have a pre-workout shake, inter-workout shake, and then post-workout shake after the workout to cover all three bases, uh, prepare the blood, then maintain nutrients in between sets because obviously glucose is burning so you keep maintaining it and, and, and delivering and now going into the training so what would be uh, appropriate training for this kind of nutrition uh, as i said i first heard about heavy duty and like everybody else man we have ego right if uh, you train training me and you lift 100 kilos i am gonna try for 110 and you know, doesn't matter what kind of uh, execution. You're just going to go for it, right? As much as you can. So uh, I did initially always uh, uh, do very heavy. But uh, my last set would be just going for a pump. Pump meaning uh, like 20 to 30 reps. You know, so it was not yet any superset, three set, giant sets, but it was just I was going for a pump. Then... Uh, in a couple more years, I met uh, you know some European bodybuilders as well. And I've seen how they train. And uh, uh, in particular, I realized that, hold on a second, nobody's going so heavy. You know, so and uh, they, they, I've seen uh, they, they do two exercises, one after another. Like, why don't you supposed to rest? And then I realized that, okay, um, maybe there is something to it. So let me try it. So I, I started supersetting as well do two uh, exercises for the same body part. I didn't do the antagonistic. Some bodybuilders will do antagonistic body parts superset, I would do the same body part. So you just add the fuel and the fire. And then uh, after I thought about, okay, if I did two, how about three exercises for the same muscle group? And then I did four. And this is the roots of my uh, uh, giant set training when I start really implementing all that into the one workout. Uh, so again, I uh, asked my father to try to pick his brain, and then he was saying uh, uh, also, uh, you and I both can can say right now, what was the chest training for Arnold Schwarzenegger or a back training or a leg training? They were particularly the same exercises, incline barbell, you know, thighs, Basics, basics is uh, why do you guys always do the absolute same thing. You understand possibilities and angles and grips and stances and tempo and why is always uh, everything the same. And then uh, he spoke Latin language and uh, I learned a lot of uh, Latin quotations. Varietas uh, delecta, variety delights. You know, so uh, try to bring as much variety to it. So for the first time, I said, OK, you go slow eccentric, but explosive concentric. I said, OK, why not the opposite? I said, nobody ever does that, the opposite. You know? So I tried it. And then I said, OK, okay, do you understand? There's a lot of uh, stretch overload uh, hypertrophic stimulus. Like, what do you mean? Just you know, stretch the muscle under the, the load. Ah. You're supposed to lift weights, not, uh, not to be in a stretch position, right? So, but, but anyway, uh, again, he opened my mind into this that I just realized, uh, don't be limited and just follow, you know, start to lead. It's very easy when you go on the field and you see one paved way, you know, just to follow. Oh, somebody already went there, let me follow. Uh, very few people would uh, stray away and say, okay, let me make my own road so uh at early age you know the beginning of my career uh, i listened to this is my idol bruce lee right the methods (laughs) he applied observe everything accept what is useful discard what is useless and create your own
0: that's one of the things i remember you saying your um seminar at muscle works in was like this is my information and the way I see things and the way I've experienced things and you utilize this, how you see fit and you interpret it, how you want to interpret it, which I like remember to this day, because so many people are very narrow minded with our approach. And uh, I, th- I thought that was a very interesting way you put that across.
1: Yes, I am. Uh, I'm glad. And you see, you are the researcher, you're a trainer yourself and, and let's be honest. So you to be a proper trainer and researcher, what are you supposed to do? Read the research, whatever is presented to you, and uh, uh, I am so—I'm uh, going to just say, say frustrated. I'm not going to say other other word. You know, all these hypertrophy studies are done on whom? Okay, on whom? On a pencil next, It's Charles Polykin would say it. You know, on a you know a teenage uh, uh, soccer uh, player team. You know, for or or a, or a, a elderly uh, woman. You know, really, you want to do the hypertrophy and you want to do control study. Okay, how do you really do it? And then they have their methods. Okay, they're going to, what, quarantine the people and serve them the food? No, they're going to tell them approximately what to do. And then, okay, this kind of training. I was dealing with uh, over 100 professional bodybuilders that I trained, of which like 30 something made it to the Olympia, right? So I would uh, have a, a, or the seasoned veteran pro-bodybuilder coming to me uh, that uh, hit the plateau and uh, can't grow anymore. And then they would put 20 pounds. You know, so I I have a little bit more uh, experience as these researchers and labs do. Uh, Somebody said, okay, Croke up. If you watch uh, uh, MMA, he's my favorite fighter, uh, Mirko Filipovic, Croke up. And when I talked to him, he said something that sticks to me. One gram of theory is heavier than one ton of practice. Oh, no, exactly the opposite. One gram of uh, practice is uh, heavier than uh, one ton of theory. I said, what do you mean? I said, okay, it's nice to uh, study and all. Did you ever try it? So for there are a few researchers, uh, uh, Brad here in the United States, he does a lot of research and, and I appreciate it but you really have to do logical, uh, real control study with the, who? With the pro bodybuilders. Uh, you probably uh, have the, the journals as well. I mentioned this in, in that seminar uh, that you were, I brought uh, down from 1987 to 2003, every meal, every gram of protein, carbohydrates fat with a timing. And then uh, I would make a comments and of course, I was inspecting what i was expecting every week i would have to analyze if i'm going in the right direction i'm stagnating or uh, i'm uh, digressing
0: so i thought um I'm, this reminds me of when we we're at the seminar one of the things i thought was very very fascinating that really opened my eyes in terms of the way of interpreting interpreting information was uh, when you spoke about like creatine usage for example and how much creatine you could use because Generally, they were devised taking like five grams of creatine a day. But as you said at the time, you're like, this is based on a normal individual who might weigh 75 kilos. If you weigh 100 kilos and are heavily muscled, you can take a hell of a lot more and will benefit from a hell of a lot more than that. And the same, I remember you saying with amino acids, exactly the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. see, there is a, a myopic view. You know, so A lot of people will be just maybe reserved. And first thing that you're going to hear, yeah, you don't need so much protein protein can be damaging on uh, on the kidneys and you, you don't need it uh, you avoid it so they gave you you know certain uh daily recommendation they don't tell you that this is minimal for survival far away from optimum and uh, you know far far away from uh maximal needed for protein synthesis uh so this is also how i started i started with the uh, uh recommended daily allowance you know maybe uh uh, increased a little bit, so I went to one gram per kilo, one and a half, and then two, and then two and a half, three, three and a half, four. More I was putting in, uh, better results I was getting. So, does it matter to me that I read what uh, Josh Moe, doctor from uh, in uh, Iowa, is telling you to go? Oh, no, you know it's a sufficient amount of protein. You don't need more. Okay, I just had it for one month, and I improved dramatically much more than I was doing with your recommendation. So. What do you think I'm gonna do? You know, and I don't try to be a rebel and um, you know, just uh, to uh, counter my opinion to theirs, but I experienced it on myself. Then I uh, suggested to a few of my clients and, uh, and my training partners, and they improved tremendously. So I have no uh, uh, doubt in my mind that increased protein intake, and uh, uh, I would say if you go in uh, kilos or pounds, uh, in a pounds, one and a half gram per pound is my absolute minimum. This is this is what I would tell to anyone. Two grams, more than likely. You know, because if I'm going to adjust my macronutrients, uh, I would put them in the order of priority. Protein is by far the most important macronutrient that we we can have. It can be energy nutrient if needed, you know, but it's only building nutrient. Energy, nutrients, carbohydrates, and fat are just that. They're going to give you energy, specific energy for aerobic or for anaerobic uh, uh, activities. You know, this can be easily manipulated once you establish what is your protein intake. Now, you mentioned creatine, and, uh, you know, this is a, a whole that You probably don't even know uh, this part of the story. Uh, in a, a Saps movie that Alex Identity did, uh, he interviewed me, and, I, and I, I told for the first time. Uh, at that time, I was a uh, professional ex with uh, uh, mystery uh, uh, professional giving uh, information to Master Media 2000 to uh, Bill Phillips back in the day. As I was under the contract, I couldn't use uh, uh, my name. So I, I would supply him with some information. And One of the things uh, that I sent him once was uh, a Neotone which is injectable creatine from Italy, and then he was like saying, you know, oh my God, what is this? And I told him, well, this is what a lot of athletes are using to replenish the ATP, and you know, the, the, this is very very potent stuff. Uh, everybody can feel uh, dramatic results almost immediately. And he goes, do do we have this in a oral uh, form? You can you use it orally? Uh, so like, well, no and I told him if somebody can uh, find the oral version uh, to, to, to take a creatine and it would make uh, billions. Uh, sure enough, he came up with a creatine monohydrate shortly after, and as you know, creatine became a, most, uh, a best-selling supplement at the time. And anybody that used it, you know, also experienced the, the value. But the same thing, if you remember, they would advise you just up to maximally 20 grams a day you know, it would be that uh, loading phase for 20 uh, uh, grams for like a week or two, and then you would maintain it maybe with 10. And for me, this is also, uh, again, uh, questionable. So I said like, uh, why? Why do I have to now accept what uh, some research is suggesting? This is a new uh, product, new supplement. And you're telling me that this is like upper limit. And of course, me being a rebel, I, I started doing a 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 grams a day. And the more I, I used, the, the better I felt. And not just that, uh, but I did it in a carbohydrate loading for bodybuilders. So I was the first one to do it. I, I still have a, that journal and I, I think I published on my Instagram, you know, carb loading days, for my Night of the Champions uh, in the Canada uh, pro show, I was doing a, a 60 grams a day, every single day, for seven days for Canada. And I won that show, uh, beating Mike Patrazo, Chris Cormier, you know, great uh, <clears throat> guys. How would you be splitting that up, Milos? Would it be in uh, like six six sittings of 10 grams? 10 grams, exactly. I was doing this. Uh, as you know, when, when you carb load in those days, after you carb depleted, and now you want to uh, have a study nutrition. So I was having a frequent, frequent small meals. And uh, in these uh, uh, frequent small meals, also I potentiate the insulin release, right? So I had a high insulin pretty much all day long, which I don't have a normally. Normally, as uh, uh, I, I talked talk to you on a uh, seminar in Orpington, I would just trigger uh, insulin release around my workouts. But now when I'm carb loading and my primary goal is to store as much glycogen as I possibly can, you know that the whole day was uh, uh, potentiated insulin with uh, high carbohydrates, uh, low fats, and and high amino acids and and protein. So uh, for another Champions, just to finish, I did 80 grams a day, and uh, I love that look. And since then, I would uh, apply a similar approach to, to my clients as well.
0: What's the sort of recommendation you'd give to say, a new client coming on board, say for example, was 90 or 100 kilos, which is probably where a lot of my audience would be.
1: Okay, uh, with, with uh, 90 to 100 kilos, and one or two workouts a day. If it's uh, one workout a day, I would do 30 grams minimum, and then uh, i test them, and then uh, uh, see if they can go to 40. And uh, if they train two times a day, then I would give them uh,
0: forty to fifty. And when would you yeah. utilize taking that in? Would you take it all intra workout, or do you split it with your three shakes around training?
1: Yeah, I would split uh, within three shakes uh, absolutely. And then I would uh, uh, get uh, one more time. Okay, uh, you have a post workout shake. So pre, thirty minutes before the workout intra, uh, and then post workout right. And then an uh, hour and a half uh, after that, you would have a meal. After the uh, meal, uh, one more time, hour and a half later, I would have some more uh, creatine. Of course, I always mix it with the other things as well, whatever I find useful, glutamine, leucine. Uh, so there's uh, other things. But creatine, uh, whoever really uh, experienced the creatine, it's a completely different training with or without it. Uh, it's completely different looking, fully loaded with the creatine or without it. So once we realized that uh, creatine, people would say it uh, holds water, so they are afraid to use it for competition. I say it holds water where? It's intracellular. Where where you want it. Yeah, where you want it. It's ATP. It's intracellular energy. So this is exactly. And I I remember there was a Weider seminar back in uh, 99 when we talked about it, and there was a lot of experts yeah, asking there was you know 28 of us, uh, the athletes. It was Chad Nichols there as well. There was uh, Linda Murray, you know, many people, Doctor uh, Wright, and uh, you know many experts. And then they say, okay, yeah, uh, they don't advise uh, creatine uh, for uh, uh, you know competition because it can make you hold water. And then I said, like, well, this is my experience. And then they, they saw my pictures. I said, would you say that I, I retain water? You know, and I was, you see, I always uh, created illusion. Many times people would see me uh, uh, in the gym or, or uh, at the show at the expo and say, oh, you don't look as big as you look on the stage. I always created the illusion of being way bigger on the stage than I actually was. 1999 and uh, British Grand Prix also. I mean, if you look at uh, me next to... Um, Okay, it was greatest lineup with uh, Ronnie 99 at his best and uh, Flex Wheeler at his biggest and best. Kevin Limroni, oh my God. And then it was Marcus Rule and Nasser Al Sabadi, two guys that I actually beat uh, that were monsters. But uh, I managed to pull off that I looked just as big as them with this kind of method.
0: No, It's, uh, it's fascinating. And I think, again, though, that that's a testimony to you in terms of how you said earlier, looking to go, not follow the same path as everyone else and look maybe outside of the box a little bit rather than just following like a sheep like everyone else does.
1: Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, I, I didn't want to say that term because a, a lot of people are uh, judging me for when I say sheep, <laughs> then they feel insulted. But, but let's face it, I mean, I started this way as well. You know, uh, if you're intelligent, yeah, and you have no idea about something, you should follow, right? This is, uh, I read this study and that's a university study and okay, a reputable researcher. So you're gonna listen to it. But then, you know, in uh, essence, why did they pick that method? Was it the best method or they just picked it? They picked the 10 grams of creatine because then they say, oh, that would be sufficient, right? Uh, I mean, all my experiments, uh, maybe it's not to, to mention good to mention, you know, I did, let's let say, this most potent insulin uh, transport. You know, I also started with very little uh, myself experimenting and then more and more and more and more until I realized, okay, there is, what do you want to achieve? So you and I are talking now about maximal hypertrophy, not any kind of hypertrophy. So this 20 grams of creatine, okay, and one gram of uh protein per pound of body weight uh, can lead you to certain kind of results. Maybe a suboptimal a hypertrophy. A, I don't want a minimal. I don't want an optimal. I want a maximal. So let's define that, right? So how far can you push it? You know, the, the, And I think that would be goal for all of us, uh, not just in uh, training. I think in life, if you do something, you want to have maximal results, right? Doesn't matter what you do. Uh, That would be nice, but how do you reach those maximum results? Well, you have to research, get knowledgeable, and then have to practice and see if that applies to you because, as you mentioned, we are all different uh, animals, right? So what works for you not necessarily works for me. So uh, as you mentioned as well, thank you for that. I don't say my way or no way. I show you one of my ways and I... uh, lets you find the value in it and if you can apply something of that and build on it i mean uh i'm 100 percent sure charlie next time i come to a gym or you train i'm positive you can show me something that i never did and it was like oh oh i i i didn't try that yet you know so i'm very much open-minded uh, i just want to tell uh, people when you're in a gym training okay you absolutely positively have to Kill yourself because that was uh, attitude of, of many people. And do you absolutely positively always have to go for that extra rep going to the failure? Okay, throughout the years now I'm 56. Uh, yeah, I had that uh, uh, mental state that I have to work harder than anybody else. And you heard this from many uh champions that they had a champion's mindset. I have to. Nobody's gonna outwork me. But what does that really mean? Okay, so. You're gonna to push to the limit, and then you're gonna go over the limit, over what your physical capabilities are, and then you know maybe your training partner is gonna uh, do the four steps, one, two extra reps. Okay, so this is now pushed beyond the failure. Well, but then next time you train, next day you have to be better than yesterday. So next time you're gonna try uh, even more and a more and more. So this progressive overload and failing, breaking down tissue, all this stuff. Is this really productive and, uh, and healthy? And now after so many years, I have to go back again once to revisit what my father told me when I was pushing to the limit, pushing to me and say, oh, big shot, let's talk when you're 40 and uh, especially 50 years old. And really as a youngster, I didn't want to listen to him. What do you know? I'm gonna train for 20 years, of course. So when I'm 40 years old, I'm gonna be all jacked, and I'm gonna be so much stronger than the average person until I hit the 40 years of age, and then I realize my tendons, my joints, my ligaments, I had some muscle tears. Like, oh, I, I see what you're saying. So do you really absolutely have to push crazy to the limit? Not necessarily. And more and more research is being done that I read but uh, uh, more uh, research that I do, I I did uh, many athletes and never push them to the limit. I bring them close to the limit, but they just increase their volume. As you know, uh, there are uh, different types of uh, hypertrophy and uh, go heavy, go home is myofibril hypertrophy type that they say you have to stimulate myofibrils and the majority of the cell, you know, so, This is the only way to create uh, expansion, you know, cross-trained area to to expand. You know, sarcoplasmic uh, part is very small part, so you know it doesn't make sense. Well, okay, that's theory, but then I applied it and I I see that sarcoplasmic training and pump, uh, high uh, repetition, volume, 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 volumizes the cells, and uh, you do get the results, and I witness possibly uh, 20 pro bodybuilders that really never, ever trained heavy. All their training would be sarcoplasmic type. And they look phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal.
0: I bet they didn't have a lot of injuries
1: either. No injuries. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mentioned this, uh, I put it in, uh, on Instagram, it was funny because uh, I trained uh, in the same gym that Dexter Jackson was. And uh, you know, as you know, Dexter is a 50 years old vampire that looks identical to when he looked 30. And I say, Dexter, when are you going to train with me? I say, hell no, never. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, <laughs> I say, you're crazy. So, uh, And then I watch him. He stimulates the muscle. You know, he doesn't go overboard. And uh, needless to say, at uh, 50 years of age, he almost won Arnold Classic. Uh, earlier this year. I mean, phenomenal physique. So uh, this is uh, to give you a little little bit open mind. You are British and I I know that every British uh, loves Dorian uh, and and, uh, they they did his Uh, method, blood and guts. You know, that's really blood and guts. You have to have a guts to, to push, to release the blood pretty much. It's a risky as can be. Is this manly? Yes. But how risky that is, really.
0: So uh, I'll t- give, uh, give you a good example of that. I've trained with Dorian. Obviously, I've trained with you, and I've trained with Dorian four times personally. And both the times I've trained legs with him, I end up getting knee problems from the loading was so heavy from where, uh, what I was used to. And I think some people can maybe biomechanically, if they're like perfectly built, will get away with it. Whereas if you've got slight issues here and there, I think you're, it's a matter of time until you're going to have an issue
1: absolutely and listen uh and if dorian is ever watching he might say oh, here's milos again talking shit i don't actually i have utmost respect for i think that dorian is one of the most brilliant men, oh, so I knowledgeable do. and he has accomplished what, of course i didn't and uh not anybody in 1990s hardest era of bodybuilding he dominated he won uh six times over guys like uh Lex Filler, Kevin Leveroni, Sean Ray, Lee Prince, Paul Dillette, you know, you name it. So did he accomplish his goal? Absolutely. Uh, did uh, uh, his kind of training give him results? Absolutely. But it is, is it prescription for injuries? Absolutely. I mean, there is no way that uh, uh, if you really push to the limit and you said in four times you train and, and both times uh, you experience uh I trained with Dorian in his gym, Temple Gym in Birmingham, in Venice Golds, we did legs, and in the Colosseum Gym, my gym, uh, several times. First, I didn't really believe that he's uh, training as he's preaching it. Okay, you have a one warm-up set, and then you go all out. And then when I trained with him, I said, oh my God, he does this shit. <laughs> this is, oh my God. So, let's put it this way, legs. Uh, at that time, I could squat, uh, uh, 650 pounds for six reps okay if i would warm up what do i supposed to warm up with the uh, 60 kilos or 100 kilo and then go to the 600 it's uh, absolutely impossible whatever so uh, the theory is if you can nail the nail in one hit right why keep hitting all right uh, for me it was always modified heavy duty i would do the you know, three sets uh, in the heavy duty methods, but first would be very control eccentric, very control concentric. So you, uh, as Ben Pakuski would call it, muscle centric, not uh, movement centric. You feel the muscle, right? But you control it down, you control it up. Then I would add up the weight. Uh, Now I could feel it, uh, you know, feel the really, uh, that uh, it's not easy to do like 10, 12 reps. I would not go to the failure. Third rep now, I could load up that I can go slow and centric and explode. Concentrically, still not go to the failure, because I think these three sets are necessary to prepare your your, uh, body and your muscle that you're going to be training to now that all-out effort. This is is how I would do it, and I would do the two exercises for each body part in that uh, kind of method. And after that, all would be my uh, variety uh, delights, uh, anything you can think of. Different angles, different tempo, type of contraction. You see, uh, I didn't do too much of it, but you did experience my uh, variable. Uh, you started with a 10 second uh, squeeze in the first rep and nine seconds and eights and seven, right? I love that. So now, uh, when we did it, I, I think we did the leg extension, so you did a peak contraction, 10 and nine and eight, then uh, uh, on side laterals also. Uh, but you can do it eccentrically and then you can do it in a stretch position that uh, stretch overload yes with you guys we did the pullovers
0: and was it it, uh, chin-ups or something else as well
1: (laughs) chin-ups yeah yeah. you did a great 10 seconds at the top and then uh, 10 seconds down 9 seconds I mean really uh, and you're laughing and I'm laughing because we both know how hard that really is but you want to be tough you want to challenge, challenge yourself safely. I would much rather challenge you with the type of repetition you're going to do than rather than just put the weight and kill it. Because let's face it, body, human body, is not designed to be pounded on like this for 20 years. Uh, And um, with all my love to uh, Ronnie Coleman, who I sincerely love as a person and uh, respect as a bodybuilder, I mean, it's devastating to see his type of injuries. Uh, Of course, uh, back then, he didn't see any other pro bodybuilder being uh, uh, in this kind of state of injuries, 12 surgeries later. And now when you look at back and you see him deadlifting 800 something pounds and squatting over 800, you know, then you say, was that really necessary? So now, for all the viewers of your podcast, uh you mentioned also you you went a little bit heavier uh for legs and then you had knee problems let me tell you i have a knee problems as well and i pray to god that i didn't damage them because i really want to train them now and uh, when you train them properly and you do this control slow eccentric and you know control concentric as well you can feel the muscle expanding you can feel like a stabbing pain in your quads that uh beautiful Beautiful, enjoy the pain feeling. But when you have uh, joint pains, it's like, you know, uh, impossible to bear that pain. And if you do bear the pain and you go through it, you're going to damage even more. So reduce the weight, make that weight work for you. Uh, And if I can just uh, um, expand on that one. I think I I told you also, you know, a few times in in, uh, people in uh, Orpington uh, training camp, Once you start the exercise, okay, I want you to do anything in your power to make uh, 10 repetitions impossible to complete. So now, if you use the weight that is so easy for you to do 10 repetitions in a classical uh, four seconds down, uh, one second up, maybe one second peak contraction type, okay? You're gonna do that very easily. So how I'm gonna make you now honestly and sincerely fail you know, from a uh, muscle standpoint, the isolating muscle, not the, all the secondary movers. Because if you just go for ten reps, you're going to use, you everything. know, primary movement, everything. So now you're going to focus on that muscle. Let's say we're doing chest dumbbell flies, for example. You're going to uh, slow down, essentially, maybe to repetitions, right? You're going to stay in a stretch position, and then with no inertia, no momentum you're gonna just squeeze it up. So you're gonna uh, squeeze up, not lift it up. And then you're gonna do that peak contraction type of squeeze the juice out of the lemon, not just squeezing, you know, because a lot of people tell me, oh, you know, Shay, I do the time under the attention. I do the peak contraction. And I say, I see you do the peak contraction, but I didn't see it maximal. You didn't squeeze the life out of your muscle, right? And then, uh, okay, then they try, you squeeze, life out of your muscle for three repetitions, for three seconds in a peak contraction, you're going to fail within six, seven reps. I don't care what uh, amount of weight you have. You know, so now, again, be honest to yourself. You are here to train, you know, so you want a maximum hypertrophy, okay. So you want a maximal stimulation, okay. Are you really accomplishing this if you go sub-maximal? You know, you can go now to the failure without risking. Right, So uh, this kind of training to the failure, I approve it. When you go with the heavy weights that uh, really, the only thing in your head is, I just wanna lift this sucker off my chest or you're doing squats, I just wanna blast it off the floor. You know, you're gonna use your whole body. Of course, your your nervous system is gonna fire up and all that stuff, but you can injure yourself.
0: It's also like it's scientifically proven. I think when you go above your 85% uh, one rep max, you physically can't consciously contract anything because your body's just trying to survive and basically not getting crushed. So again, talking about trying to engage the right muscles, we're trying to necessarily train. Say for example, like a back squat, you'll see a lot of people will use a lot of lower back, for example, doing that rather than necessarily engaging through their quads.
1: Yes. Yes. And I mean, of course it's biomechanics. They have to have a center of mass, you know, that moment arm, where you're going to move it. But uh, let's say you put a bar on the back, you're going to lean forward no matter what. I mean, there is a, you know, a certain level of uh, a lower back engagement, as perfect squat as you do. But that's why if I'm going to go heavy, right, uh, I, I put it in the hack squat because uh, you can control it you know, much more. But uh, I'm not against heavy. Of course, I respect all the and guys that, that have so much power, that can, can play with that weight. Oh, my God. Uh, that weekend, uh, I was watching uh, Luke, uh, Sando and Ben Chao training. And uh, literally speaking, my maximal weight that I'm doing there, warming, warming up with. It was ridiculous. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it openly. Ben Chao actually uh, videotaped training that I did with my training partner, Matt, to be with doing chest. And uh, probably he never published it because the amount of weight we were using was not manly enough. <laughs> it would not be interesting for our uh, viewers. But, you know, we did this uh, kind of uh, slower tempo, peak contraction. You know, so when you look from the outside, it looks like a, such a sissy workout. Okay? Now, let me ask you, honestly, and you, you don't have to uh, say, oh, that was great, but workouts that I put you through in these three days in Orpington, you
0: felt every one of them, right? Yeah, 100%. And that 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 style of training, in my opinion, is so much more difficult than the progressive overload, six to eight reps for three sets, because the length of the set alone generally tends to be a lot longer. So you're actually in that like pain zone for a lot longer. So it's a lot more mental fortitude to be able to withstand that rather than just like switching off and just trying to blast through six reps with a heavy weight. So for me, I think it's much more of a, a mental challenge more than anything to like hold on through the sets and get through the workout
1: yes yes absolutely you experience it now uh, let's define it uh it is very hard to do and this is probably why a lot of people are not doing it you yeah. <laughs> know this is this is why and i tell you uh that the uh, example i was training japanese uh, bodybuilder hiratari amagishi like this uh, for a whole year in you know 2006 so he qualified for 2007 olympia and then i went to japan and in these seminars you know so somebody asked me but miller when was the first time you did the giant sets so i told him back in the like late 80s right and then i did in the 90s but then i said why didn't you train like this all the time and it, it just hit me you know because yeah i applied them closer to the contest and all that stuff but then you know as soon as contest is over you know you you just tend to forget that you can train like this. you know. So I didn't do it because it was too hard. And honestly, I, I want a little escape. So after this 2007, a uh, uh, Japanese uh, uh, guy asking me, I realized, oh my God, so I'm not really honest to myself. Uh, if I say I want a maximum stimulation and I'm trying to avoid this, I still do heavy duty, obviously. But then after this, now I want a maximum volumization. I want a crazy pump. And uh, uh, after that, unfortunately, all, all the clients that I train, uh, they, they have to go through it.
0: <laughs> it's, um, it's fascinating, I definitely would agree with you that your training style is probably the hardest out there. With something else that's very unique that you do is often having uh, clients and yourself training twice a day. Do you want to talk a little bit more? How you developed from that? Was that just to create more of a higher frequency approach, so you could hit each yeah. muscle group more frequently?
1: Yes. You see. Uh, okay. Uh, and you mentioned something also about recovery. So uh, I trained in average five hundred fifty workouts a year for fifteen years straight. I have documented every single one of them because you know at one point I just I, I wanted to see it because I was training twice a day, six days a week. You know this is uh, you know how I went. Uh, there was few times that I uh, listen to Charles Polican and I did uh, three workouts a, a day. <laughs> you know, so uh, for me, uh, there is twenty-four hours in a day, and we have a different phases. I also talk about this in a, in a seminar. I have my fat burning phase, if I need to uh, to burn fat. I have my anabolic phase, which is uh, around the training, and then I have a maintenance phase when I just supply enough to maintain it. So uh, anabolic phase would be, uh, now as I said, I would saturate maximally anabolic nutrients uh, into uh, my system and then I'm gonna go and maximally stimulate my muscle and I'm gonna deliver all these nutrients in that muscle that I train, right? Then I'm gonna maintain it and then do it one more time during a day. So I had uh, two of those anabolic phases. I fed my muscle constantly and continuously Uh, Because I believe more frequency, more volume uh, equals more results, right? Contrary to Dorian and uh, Mike Manzer they say, like, uh, less frequent would be better. Uh, I did it this way. um, And uh, I made sure that as soon as I'm finished training right here, that uh, my recovery is a must. So uh, eat, sleep, uh, recover. Eat, sleep, recover. You know, just like you... uh, Ben Pacovsky talks a lot about this uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system. When you're in, you're gonna just jack it up, and I go through the wall. Right? You step your foot in a in a gym, you are in a colosseum, and you're gonna fight the gladiators. Okay, that's the mentality. But as soon as you're off, boom, parasympathetic. Relax as much as you can. Feed it. Lay down. Is uh, uh, 40 years ago, I read uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Method of uh, uh, Maximal Growth, and uh, it's funny. He goes, okay, if you don't have to sprint, just jog. If you don't have to jog, stay where you are. And then, why don't you sit down? No, if you're sitting, why don't you just lay down and might as well sleep. In the sense of, okay, when you're not training, rest, recover, right? So for me, uh, this is what this was two times a day, uh, every single day, six days a week. And I did this throughout the 90s. And I will tell you, if I say I never felt overtrained, I would probably lie, uh, but uh, uh, seldomly I felt like, okay, now I have to back off. You know, it's really how you structure your workout and how much you push it. I didn't go to the crazy heavy weight and failure when you damage the tissue so much it probably it needs more time to recover. Uh, so uh, that's the difference. Uh, another thing is human body is uh, adaptive uh, mechanism and uh, muscle tissue is most adaptive tissue of, of all. So what demand you put on the muscle is how it's gonna adapt. So I wanted high volume adaptation, but uh, uh, supported with uh, uh, high nutrient intake uh, my calories were um, all this high, like about five thousand calories, and uh, you know, pretty much when I was dieting for a contest, I would just slightly need to drop my carbohydrates uh, slightly, and maybe include that fat-burning phase, which is cardio and empty stomach and I would uh, accomplish my uh, goals. So,
0: with your uh, food that high, did you do anything from a digestive point of view to try and maximize? the absorption of food? Were you sticking to certain food groups or do you have any specific approach in that regard?
1: Uh, well, you know, that's another thing I, I learned from Charles Spolikin, yeah? Because uh, first time when uh, you know he attended my seminar and he was listening to my uh, uh, talks and uh, I was talking about four grams of, of uh, protein per kilo of body weight because we were in Canada. In, in Canada, they go with the metric. And then uh, his first question was, uh, "Okay, do you take some digestive enzymes with it?" So I always did. I didn't do uh, the betaine, hydrochloric acid that he uh, did it mostly. I did just uh, uh, proteolytic uh, enzymes always because I was doing uh, eight meals a day, you know, uh, regularly with uh, uh, about sixty grams of protein, sometimes up to seventy-five. I was averaging in all my journals between 450 and 550 grams of protein every single day. And I never really had a digestive problems, never, never, ever. One thing that uh, I learned from him was to rotate more uh, types of protein, not to, to be chicken, 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 chicken. Uh, because he, he actually proved it to me. He goes, okay, he, he challenged me. Go one month of uh, exclusively chicken and see what's gonna happen. And sure enough, I created uh, allergies on, uh, on chicken protein, on very protein that I was exclusively eating. So my uh, view on this is if I have a, a frequent meals, I would uh, rotate from egg to chicken to beef to fish and, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, uh, if I would be on a lower carbohydrate, uh, a higher fat uh, diet, then my protein sources would be with a higher fat content. Eggs, uh, fatty fish, fatty mee- meats. Uh, if I would be on a higher carbohydrate uh, content, my protein uh, sources would be very low effect chicken breast, turkey breast, fish, egg
0: whites, you know, stuff like that. So, carbohydrate sources, would you always stick to fairly clean sources like white rice and things like that and your fast digesting yeah. carbs, or do you go for anything different or out there?
1: Yeah, I, I would, uh, okay. Uh, tell you this, back in the 80s, there was a one point, like for three years, I did not, because uh, uh, I was influenced uh, again by, by somebody, um, I didn't want to take anything that has a one gram of sugar, <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah, no, no, bodybuilders shouldn't have sugar, you know, so I was just eating, uh, you know, complex carbs and uh, nothing that there would be uh, even slightly uh, with, with the simple carbs. But then, uh, of course, uh, when my father, exposed to me like, okay, uh, sugar can be your best friend or your enemy, it depends when you take it. Uh, this when I applied it, which was at the time for me, not thinkable, oh, bodybuilding and sugar, da, 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 no, 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 you, you can't have it. So uh, after I was using sugars, glucose, intra-workout, then post-workout was also a question, now what happens post-workout? Oh, you need to replenish the glycogen that you have lost. Glycogen is what? Glucose plus water. So it doesn't matter what kind of carbohydrate you, you want. It's going to have to be broken down to the glucose, and then glucose can be binded with the water and stored as a glycogen. Okay, so why would I now uh, want to, again, clean carbs, like you said, complex carbs that need to break down, you know, bonds between to release? Wouldn't our goal be to have a quick glucose? Because after the workout, again, needed to be Quick as that window of opportunity initially is the biggest, and then six hours later, you're still replenishing the glycogen, and 24 hours later, you're still, uh, you know, replenishing that muscle. But glycogen is really, you know, for me, that first couple of hours is most important. So I would always, you know, have some simple carbs post-workout, and uh, not necessarily drink them. I enjoy eating carbs, you know, so. Why would I, you know, I put, have to put the powder intra workout because intra workout, you're sipping in between sets and it has to be pre digested. You know, you don't want to uh, chew it and eat it. But post workout shake, now in this uh, shake, you can have simple carbs of your choice. So, uh, examples, I would, uh, uh, when I worked with Dennis James, he really liked uh, pancakes, oatmeal, banana, you know, pancakes and stuff like that or waffles that his wife would make. Then uh, Gustavo Badel would like oatmeal, banana dates, cookies. You know, So uh, I had uh, somebody that would want just uh, uh, rice cakes with a jam or a honey or a maple syrup and stuff like that. Yeah, at this time, it's completely okay. So somebody heard me saying this and said, Milos, so if I can have any glucose at that time, can I have a candy? So I said, well, uh, read what is in a candy uh, bag. And he says, uh, you know, glucose, the first ingredient, and then some artificial sweeteners And I said like, look, I, I don't agree with this uh, sweeteners and all this stuff, but yeah, you can get away with glucose, you know, from the candy. And not just that, I did it myself. After a while, you know, there was uh, like, let's say, um, uh, sugar uh, fat-free candies and uh, <laughs> some people are going to judge me An like <laughs> angel food cake
0: yeah
1: uh, you know that's uh zero fat yes. and then you put the you know shitload of this uh marmalade and jam and stuff like that and yes this is what i was doing post-workout including closer to the contest now you probably follow uh, chris asido uh technician
0: yeah
1: he gives cookies Muffins. And uh, and uh, muffins and stuff. The last time I was there talking to Luke Sando, he was eating cookies. And <laughs> and uh, you know, this is the approach of Chris Asino, right?
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's one of those things, again, where you can look outside of the box of the conventional thought process and you can there's a lot more flexibility with things that people often perceive.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I'm not going to say calorie is a calorie because, of course, <laughs> You know, you can, uh, you can go to the other extremes. But uh, uh, right nutrients at the right time for me, right macros. You know, for me, uh, and I said this also in the seminar, now imagine we have a three uh, macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. If you're intaking, you know, just enough of everything that you can use, your body can utilize perfectly, that would be ideal situation. If something is missing, you know, there is some compromise that needs to be done. So if you have less of this or less of that, you know, one has to convert to another. Uh, Protein can be converted into the carbohydrates, right? Carbohydrates and fat cannot be converted into protein. So this is why I start with a very high protein intake. Let's cover this base. You know, now, once we establish, okay, for anyone uh, that is um, maybe listening and considering and they're not eating enough protein right now, Uh, what I said, if you want to listen to my advice, yes, uh, hopefully it makes sense to you, increase your protein intake and manipulate your carbohydrates and fat. So if you need to reduce uh, some fat or carbohydrates to maintain your caloric requirement that you are on right now, I guarantee if you just increase protein uh, more at the expense of either fat or carbs, not changing caloric intake, so that's why I say calories, not the calorie. You're going to improve more with a high protein guarantee. But then you're going to maybe realize, hmm, maybe I can bump up the calories. This is one thing also that I believe most of the people are afraid to eat. They don't eat enough.
0: And this is what was actually going to be my next question, funny enough, because I remember you saying this explicitly uh, in the presentation. And I remember you saying, I think to me, Rob Cannon in particular, uh, who was eating like a mouse at the time for a guy who's, I don't know, like 250 pounds. Um, I remember that specifically stuck in my head, and I was going to ask you that. And it was going to be the question, do you think most people under-eat for their goals?
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, speaking of Rob Cannon, as you know, I, I coach him, uh, uh, and <laughs> he gives his calories so much, and then, you know, he says, oh, my God, he couldn't believe it. But he gained, you know, I don't know, like uh, 11 kilos, you know, it's a crazy amount. You know, so, yeah... Uh, uh, so to answer your question, I do think that you know people are afraid of because they follow some uh, 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 plans that don't consider okay uh, energy expenditure achieved in a, a weight training session. It's uh, um, crazy for me if you right now Google it and you put uh, one hour of uh, vacuuming the house or one hour of uh, weightlifting training and a. Uh, amount of burn calories about the same, which is ridiculous. So again, uh, years ago, when I talked to Charles Polykin, who was, you know, one of my closest friends and, and mentors, yeah, uh, he was uh, taking 200 grams of dextrose immediately after the workout, which for me, right there, I didn't, I said, oh my God, why would you take such a So he says, do you realize how much glycogen you burn in a you know, one intense training. Just like, oh my God. And then he showed me some studies. And so if you really, you know, train so intense, uh, how much glycogen you can burn, which means you can replenish that much. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I applied that. Okay, okay. And I said, like, why would I uh, deplete the glycogen? Why wouldn't I supply the uh, supply the glucose intra workout so, you know, my muscles have that, outside source of glucose is you know as soon as you take uh, glucose within uh, two three minutes it would be available in your bloodstream so if you uh, keep sipping in between the workouts you can maintain a glucose level and use that and not really deplete so much glycogen what's your
0: but, uh, uh, type of uh, glucose or carbohydrate intra workout what kind? yeah your kind what kind dextrose
1: yeah and i'm gonna tell you this also uh, to put the stamp on it uh, i said earlier I also read the research, and then I say, okay, this is research that I have to follow. I read the research from um, Karolinska University in Sweden about high molecular weight glucose polymer, Vitargo, that is supposed to be so superior. It has faster gastric emptying because of favorable osmolality, and it just goes into the bloodstream faster than glucose. And I I... You know, like everybody else, okay, this is from university and then you see some graphs and that that looks sexy, right? Woo, okay, it must be true. Until, uh and I used this with my athletes and then uh, uh, in my gym, we ran out of it. And then uh, my staff was afraid to tell me. So they just keep putting dextrose in these drinks for like three days. I was training Dennis Wolf and Dennis James and all these guys. They didn't tell us that they use... um uh, uh, dexers instead of Vitargo and uh, the the is uh, supposed to make you bloated. It's supposed to dry the fluid into the stomach and nobody noticed anything and then when they told me I said oh my god so uh, it's the same. Uh, okay next thing uh, does it make sense that polysaccharide which uh, uh, if I would say like let's say polysaccharides as you know let's say that would be all the saccharides so would it want polysaccharides to be broken down faster than monosaccharide is already there. It doesn't need to change. So dextrose is monosaccharide, one molecule of glucose. So for me, then when I thought, I said, I'm such a dumbass, I fall for this uh, research, right? One, glucose is not changeable, it goes as it is. The polysaccharides cannot be faster. There is no way. And would it be more beneficial? No. So for all the uh, supplement companies they're selling, uh, these fancy carbohydrates and cyclic dextrin and maltodextrin and maize or whatever else, uh, I would say boldly into their face, you know, let's do the study, uh, double blend university study and compare dextrose, same amount of dextrose with you. There's going to be no additional benefits. You're going to get the glucose from it. And you're going to get glucose from this. No difference. You know, so, yeah, I would just use uh, pure dextrose. There's uh, no need to spend, like, you know, more money on expensive ones.
0: No, some, some very good words of wisdom there. And starting to wrap things up, Milo, I don't want to keep too much of your time. A fascinating question would be how have you maintained such amazing health coming into your, into your 50s at the moment and stayed in such incredible shape? Do you have... Anything that you've learned along the way or any tips or wisdom that you could share?
1: Yes, uh, one thing, and I see you, Charlie, always in shape. If you're a bodybuilder, right, okay, you're into extreme sports. So, yeah, you are pushing your body to extremes, uh, which, uh, as I said before, it might not be healthy in the long run. You can uh, damage your tendons and ligaments and all this stuff. But as a general health, uh, I would say this, contrary to all these people on social media saying bodybuilders are not healthy. Bodybuilders, if you do correct uh, uh, training and correct uh, nutrition protocol uh, year-round, uh, covering the basis of all the macronutrients to replenish what you have lost, uh, micronutrients to help micronutrients work properly, uh, you uh, recover. You don't drink alcohol and uh, and do the things that uh, other average uh, person do you're gonna stay in shape year round and uh, forever and ever i'm 56 years old yeah i can i'm in one hour training with a uh, one pro bodybuilder <laughs> earl uh moore and uh the matt you you met matt my, my training partner who is uh aiming to become pro this year i mean with the youngsters you know pretty much half of my age i'm you know training with them daily six days a week so uh once you're a bodybuilder at heart and uh, uh, you have certain image and certain expectations of you, uh, you have to keep the high level up. So that's what I'm doing and I'm uh, very healthy now. I understand there's a lot of people that if I drop that tomorrow, they're going to say, oh, you see? You see? (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, as you know, we bodybuilders also do other things that, uh, you know, people would question. so I don't know if it's that's and touching your, your, your podcast but uh, uh the, the thing is i am very healthy and i i don't plan to slow down
0: right and it's, i think it's one of those things it's your attitude to these things there's a couple of people i look up to for massive inspiration in that as i get older like you being one of them another person's like michael Hearn, american who's again like his incredible shape at his age and And the thing that uh, everyone like yourself who's in such great shape is they just don't stop. They keep training, keep doing everything as they they did. And it's uh, a mindset thing where people just think, oh, I'm 50 now. Let's just roll it in and just go 50% and they let the diet slide. And then the inevitable is going to happen. They are going to regress.
1: Yes. You see, uh, I would be honest. There was a couple of turbulent years I had in my life. Uh, I went through a nasty divorce and then I was sidetracked and uh, i didn't want to train i I pretty much self-sabotage myself i start eating regular food you know like junk food that everybody else was eating i felt most horrible i mean really uh nutrition is you are what you eat. you know it's not just a saying it's the truth you know so if you're gonna put some garbage uh what do you expect so i would insist on uh, healthy nutrition always the only thing that, uh, you know, sometimes maybe I go overboard, sometimes, as you know, you're creating carbohydrates, and you want to have more of it, uh, stuff like that. But but uh, this is just minor uh, differences. Stay healthy, you know, choose your, your nutrients properly, and it's going to pay off on the long run.
0: And awesome. um, one last thing to finish up, obviously, we've got the unfortunate situation with the coronavirus at the moment, so uh, this is a situation I don't think anyone ever thought would, would happen. So, probably gyms and 99% of the world are currently closed. Do you have any advice or any tips for anyone who's out there struggling at home training with just maybe a barbell and minimal equipment, or struggling to, tip, to stick to of diet?
1: Well, you see, uh, when you are limited, and let's say you have just barbell and a pair of dumbbells, you know this is this is uh, uh, perfect for me. Um, I said this in a seminar once in Poland. If you can uh, go into the empty room and come out 30 minutes later fully pumped, you can consider yourself a bodybuilder. What it means, you, you know how to use the muscles, right? So you do the, you know, calisthenics uh, exercises and you do whatever you can to stimulate the muscle. If you have a bands or a, a barbell and, and dumbbell, then especially I will tell you, apply my giant sets. And, uh, and uh, changing the tempo, uh, angles, grips, stances, and type of contraction, and do those uh, uh, prolonged peak contraction, like squeeze the hell out of muscle. If you have a barbell and you squeeze in a barbell curls for 10 seconds on the top, and then nine, eight, seven, six, that barbell, 20 kilo barbell, is gonna feel like uh, like a 50 kilos. You know, same things you can do with, with many other things. Now, if you have a wife, girlfriend, or somebody else, they can also, you know, give you some resistance to it, you know, then you can, you know, have a progressive overload. I do a lot of uh, exercises like that that uh, my training partner would, it, it's kind of isometric, quasi-eccentric, uh, uh, you know, so you, you do the uh, whatever hold, and then I apply pressure, you try to do it isometric as long as you can, and then obviously you're going to have to you know, go eccentrically, you know, fail it. This kind of, uh, you can use much less weight and accomplish the uh, same type of stimulation. So these are kind of things you can do in a room, in a house, in front of your, your house, in a, in a garden.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, felt, um, I thought that's very much what you're saying. It's just one of those things, I think it's just creative. And as we said before, when it came to the age thing, it's just having the right attitude, and it's one of those things, your attitude, which will use your altitude with everything. So if this is something that's important to you, you'll find a way to do it.
1: Yes, only thing for coronavirus uh, situation now, I would say, if you can go really for maximal hypertrophy, okay, uh, maybe you should use this time to get super lean. So right now it's your choices of food. Okay, you can do all the cardio you want. So if anybody is less than perfect now, right, I would tell them use wisely this period to lose body fat rather than maybe go for maximal hypertrophy. You can stimulate the muscle, maintain what you have, but use this opportunity to burn some fat, go on a, you know, a calorie restricted diet, maybe ketogenic type. Uh, right now is perfect time as uh, just to finish maybe everything up. My diet throughout the years was not 12 week diet, 16, it was 24 hour diets. What can I do in this day, 24 hours? to uh, improve. If I need to lose body fat, okay, I have to have a fat burning phase. First thing in the morning on empty stomach, if I do the cardio activity, uh, aerobic activity use fatty acids as a substrate, for sure you didn't eat, you're gonna use some of your body fat. So you initiate the fat burning. After that, you're gonna have a meals, let's say every three hours, and you ta- you're gonna take as much calories you need from one uh, to next meal to maintain. Of course, by now you should know how much that is. If you train, you can have that anabolic phase. This is when you can have some carbs. But then towards the end of the day, again, it's maintenance phase. And uh, at the very end, you can have another fat burning phase. So go for another walk and uh, you know burn up all the body fat. So by the time coronavirus ends, you would be super lean. And then you can manipulate uh, this maximal hypertrophy.
0: Would you have the uh, last question, the fat burning phase, would you have that after your last meal for the day or would you have that before?
1: Both, uh, like I said, uh, for me, uh, first thing in the morning, yep. you know, would be uh, the, uh, the most effective and, and I tell you, I did an article for uh, muscle fitness magazine back in 90s, they asked me that question, when is the best time to do the cardio? My response was, doesn't matter when you do it, it's a safe type of activity same uh, uh, substrate being used, it doesn't matter. And then at uh, no you're wrong. They did uh, some studies after prolonged fasted state, after overnight fast, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you do the same you know, amount of cardio on the same machine, whatever, it was about 30 to 35% more fat loss. So when I've seen that one, again, that's uh, one of the uh, things that did influence me. Then I tried it, i see it with myself and some clients that they have i always you know tell them first thing in the morning even though now i was with ben pakolsky on the seminar and he says he questioned that and challenges that he doesn't you know have the same standpoint like me but i i did with the hundreds of people and myself and i see it works wonders but towards the end of the day if you're going to have another fat burning phase yes you know uh, after the last meal it would be wonderful and ronnie coleman was one of those that uh, utilized that back in the 90s and he did the uh, late cardios
0: well, and then would straight to sleep afterwards
1: yeah, it's harder to sleep yes but you know uh in that sense if i would do the uh two, two different types of cardio i would do the high intensity hit intervals in the morning because that would jack you up you know so uh, if you do the hit at, at night, you're not going to sleep. And uh, at night, you can do the low-intensity cardio. It
0: nah, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. We'll wrap things up there, Milos. So thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, awesome to catch up as always. Um, I hope everyone's absolutely loved the podcast. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. So if you could kindly give us a five-star review, it would be very much appreciated and subscribe. How's the best place for everyone to get in touch with you, Milos, and find out some more about you?
1: Yeah, on the social media, I'm very active on my Instagram, yeah. at... Milo Sa <laughs> nobody can pronounce that M-I-L-O-S-S-A-R-C-E-V. Yeah. I mean that's uh, the best way uh obviously there i give uh, uh information my email is uh my first name dot last name at icloud.com so but uh, I am very uh active at uh social media so you can get me there
0: awesome I'll pop all the details in the show notes and uh, i hopefully i'm supposed to go into the muscle camp with yourself and ben, which was supposed to be sp- like the other week, but hopefully, whenever that gets rearranged, if it does, then hopefully I'll get to see you soon.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, yeah. You impressed me with your intensity and your mindset, so I have a few more tricks in the bag.
0: (laughs) I look forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: I always expand on on what I'm doing, you know, so also, this this is for you and for everybody else that listens. Uh, Don't just go through your routine, okay? I'm just gonna do what I did before. Uh, many times, night before, I'm thinking, what else can I bring into the workout, refreshing, that is new that I never did before. So there you go. You know, try to be a little bit more creative.
0: Outside. The box. Outside the box thinking. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Milos, uh, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you, Charlie. All the best. and that was an absolutely killer episode of the Powercast. Hope you guys absolutely loved it. Now I want to fill you in something I put together, which is absolutely incredible to help you not just survive during this quarantine, but actually thrive and come out of the situation in your best shape ever. So I appreciate a lot of people are really struggling at the moment in terms of knowing how to train from home, knowing how to stick to their diet when stuck in the house. There's ladies in lockdown, guys stuck in the house, there's a lot of issues going on here. And I wanted to come forward to help you guys and girls come out of the situation as a success. Now, what I have done is completely revamped my world famous Shrednate and Sculptnate programs. And what's even more exciting about this is I've given you 77% off on the price of the program. So normally it costs £149 or 200 US dollars. Now you can sign up for just £37 per month or 45 US dollars. And what's better, you can actually lock this price in for the rest of the year to see so a new training program and new diet every eight weeks. Now, the new versions of the program are fully home workout based, just using your body weight and some basic bands. These will get you the normal world famous results that you get on Shrednate and Sculptinate so you come out of this situation in the best shape ever. If you'd like to get involved, please click the link below in the podcast notes or drop me a message with any questions. We'd love to have you not just another client of Shrednate and Sculptinate, but another success story.